0: of Orange Literature Festival, organized by NCR Knowledge Foundation in <coughs> association with G.H. Rice University, powered by Rice Institutions, A platform that celebrates wisdom, experiences, narratives, and notions from all walks of life. Having said that, it's thrilling to be here today with all of you present. I am Nushika Muntani, delighted to be the anchor for today's session, Women Writing on Role of Women in Mycology by Ms. Nandiri Murli, Ms. Shivani Singh, Ms. Anuja Chandranawali, <coughs> and in conversation with Dr. Shakti Sharma. Dr. Nandini Murli is a person with diverse professional interests and engagements. She is an author, columnist, independent researcher in Indic Studies, certified life coach, mental health promotion and society prevention activist, and a communications and gender and diversity professional. <coughs> she compiled, translated and edited the world's first signature edition of Bhagwan Gita. Her areas of professional interest include LGBTQIA plus issues, mental health, resilience and well-being, trauma literacy and education, society prevention and postvention interventions for survivors of society loss, sexual and reproductive health rights, gender, masculinities and gender-based violence. She has developed a set of 12 life skill modules for LGBTQIA youth and affirmative approaches to counseling LGBTQIA clients. A resource manual for counselors. Her lived experience of society loss inspired her to establish Speak, an initiative of MS Cheramuthu Trust and Research Foundation, Madurai, to change conversations on society and promote mental health. An urgent advocate. Of building and fostering residents, she and Kate US based trauma therapists, have launched Bounce Forward, a cross cultural coalition led by individuals with lived experience that works towards a radical global change in healing of trauma and fostering of resilience. Passionate about wildlife photography, she likes nothing better than wandering through the forest with her camera. Eager to share her love for the wild with young people, she initiated Voices of the Wild, a group of Madurai-based school children who discover nature and conservation through wildlife photography. Mishivani Singh is a novelist who writes historical fiction. Her first novel, Raja is There, was published by Harper Collins in India and Udani. Secret of Siri Court and Lonely Words was published by Hashi. Nalanda, published this year by Amaryllis, will also be available in Hindi and Raja.
1: Ms. Anuja Chaturmali
0: is a best-selling author and a new-age Indian classicist, widely regarded as one of the finest writers in mythology, historical fiction and fantasy. She followed up her highly acclaimed debut novel, Arjuna, Saga of Pandatpantwa, Warrior Prince, which was named as one of the top five sellers in the Indian writing category of the year 2012, by Amazon India, with Kamadeva, the God of Desire, Shakti, the Divine Feminine, Yama's Ethernet and its sequel, Yama's Ethernet and the Stone, Pitch. Her articles, short stories and book reviews appear in various publications like the New Indian Express, The Hindu, Scroll.in and Femina. Some of her other books are Kartikeya, The Destroyer's Son, Prithviraj Chauhan, The Emperor of Hearts, Patnamadi, The Burning Queen, Ganga, The Constant Goddess and Muhammad bin Tughla, Tale of a Tyrant. Mohini, the Enchantress is her latest work of mythological fiction and winner of Prestigious Popular Choice Author her Award. Her books are also available as audiobooks and have been translated into An accomplished TEDx speaker and storyteller, Anuja Ram regularly conducts workshops on creative writing, mythology, and empowerment in schools and colleges across the country. Her Mahabharata and Raminga with Anuja storytelling series is now available on YouTube. She is a trained Bharatanatyam dancer. This mother of two little girls lives in Sivakasi, Tamil Nadu. It's an honour to have you with us, Dr. Nandini Puri Ms. Shivani Singh, Ms. Anujachas Ramoli, and this gets even more delightful as we have Dr. Shakti Sharma who will be in conversation with them as the moderator. Dr. Shakti Sharma is a doctor in food and nutrition and has qualified UGCA. She received her master's degree with gold medal, food and nutrition from Rani Birgavati University, Jabalpur, She subsequently completed her internship from Ames, New Delhi and Jodram Hospital in Goa Dr. Shakti Sharma is an academician and a holistic clinical nutritionist specializing in weight management and sports nutrition for young athletes. She holds a teaching experience for over 12 years in reputed undergraduate and postgraduate institutes of NARC. She is a Certified Dietetic Educator and is successfully running a diet clinic, nutrition and beauty, since more than 5 years. She is an impressive public speaker on health and wellness and regularly conducts awareness sessions for corporate, various government organizations and interviews. She regularly contributes in print and digital media related to diet, health and wellness. Her passion turned into a profession and has proud, profoundly contributed to the book for upcoming home scientists, nutritionists and food scientists. I once again thank you all. Now my dear audience, you are about to experience a conversation between two very dynamic individuals. So without skipping a moment, I would humbly invite Dr. Shakti Sarnathiri. Thank you so much. I am audible clearly. Yeah, thank you for the wonderful introduction and you have a very beautiful voice. I would like to applaud you for that. Uh, a very good evening and good afternoon to all of you. Since it's a post-run session, I know it becomes a little difficult to raise the morale. Can we have a round of applause for all our panelists today? Thank you much Thank you so much for being with us. As you know, we'll be talking about women in mythology. And these are the authors who are writing on women who were in my quality. When you talk about women, I think we talk about the beauty and the elegance the women carries. But women are more beyond that. It is the power, the calmness, the divinity. And today I am really blessed to be amongst such women who have all the qualities. And we will be talking about how we can unfold the women we have in our life. To begin with, uh, can I have a first question to Nandini Man? Uh, who is your favorite mythological women character? I think mean somebody who doesn't uh, <coughs> sit and wait for her boyfriend to come in you know, all Shingar, but who actually admires the beauty within? Um, I love this uh, question, Shakti. I think uh, I have a very special interest in women in literature because my Ph.D. is in gender studies. And uh, I think my favorite character, uh, especially from uh, Indian mythology, uh, uh, women characters, it, I find that it differs depending on which stage of my life I am in. So currently, if you were to ask me, my favorite character is Kundi uh, from the Mahabharata. I just love her extraordinary grace her resilience and uh, equanimity, and uh, nothing in her life uh, went as it should be. But uh, I know this grace under pressure, uh, extraordinary dignity, and strength of character. And uh, what really, really uh, something which I I really resonate with is her faith in the Supreme. You know, at one point she tells uh, Shri Krishna, uh, give me more and more of difficulties so that my, my th- in thought, word and deed, I will ever be uh, steadfast on you. So that's Sharanaguti, that, that uh, unconditional surrender to the divine, you know, that my life is in your hands, that sort of resonates a lot. With me. I think with this answer, we are setting up the stage in the essence of today's discussion. We talk about women empowerment, but today we will come to know about women who were empowered, and maybe we have lost the legacy somewhere. Uh, I think the next question is to Anuja Ma'am: Why you wanted to reimagine women in psychology? Thanks, Dr. Shakti.
2: Uh, I more than reinterpret. I think I wanted to reclaim the stories of uh, these women uh, because I think uh, uh, recently we see this narrative of victimhood when it comes to women uh, we need all these sob uh, stories and I am not saying that uh, every story isn't valid but I also get impatient when we insist on casting women in a particular mold. and uh, I think mythology at its heart is very empowering for women so uh, whether it is uh, Shakti or Ganga or Mohini I think they are so inspiring and relevant even today and uh, just I will give you just one example about why I chose to do what I did. If you take Ganga I think uh, Ganga is a very complicated, beautiful character but either you worship her as Ma Ganga and you reduce her to the role of a mother or you have a taming of the shoe narrative. I hate it. Of all Shakespeare's plays My least favorite is taming of the show and we have that for Ganga or we keep talking about how she was wild and tempestuous and Shiva held her in his logs and somehow the act of subjugating a woman is celebrated as you know the epitome of the masculine ideal but I don't think it works that way. I don't think anyone can hold Ganga anywhere at all against her will which is why I felt that story had to be cast in another light. No, it had to be a story of mutual respect between equals, not one of subjugation, where she's held trapped in the destroyer's locks. I just can't accept narratives that are I think we should reclaim the story from its original source material. really like the essence, Pam. And Pam has
0: a powerful, fierce voice when she says no woman can be held. You cannot hold her in anything because she has that power. So moving ahead, like I think if the audience has any questions, the panel is open. But what I feel is that all we know about mythological women or historical women is through the movies we see. If you talk about which women you know now, I think we know Padmavati a lot. Now maybe I know uh, Jodha Akbar a lot because I saw her in the movies. So I, think my question to Shivani Singhania, would be: uh, Do you think that the way women are being portrayed from the mythology is it correct, or you think the ideology is not being portrayed in the contemporary world?
3: So, um, let's talk about uh, Padmavat. Uh, I think it first started off as Padmini and then it became Padmavat because there was a lot of controversy around it, um, I want to show, throw it to the, uh, is it okay
0: to the uh,
3: audience,
1: how many of you
3: love the movie? You can raise your hand. The movie Pajma, 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 how many of you have seen it? I'm sure everybody seen it. So, uh, how many of you liked it? Okay. How many of you didn't like it? Some people didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Can I ask you why you didn't like it? Can you? You have to speak, how can you? can you give him the mic, please? No, I can't. Huh? Uh, see, it's
0: not about me totally not liking it. But uh, there, I think so there, are, there are some aspects
3: those uh, closer I mean, fictional i didn't thought that the way the staging was uh, shown
2: in that way was of that whole uh, <laughs> uh, of that stature or like that he was so i think uh,
3: some things were missing yeah uh,
0: you felt that some things were fictional.
3: fictional
0: i think during the time of movie's released also because of the controversy because people belonging to that region didn't comprehend to the way it was portrayed. and the man comes from the same background that Rathbukhana. Yes. So man yes. is coming based on that.
3: I can I can speak with a little bit of uh, uh, maybe authority here because I come from the same clan, which uh, uh, my mother is a royal family from the Kachaba clan, which is from the Jaipod Indian. So uh, I can say with authority that it was, uh, that, that was I think one of the major, uh, uh, outrages which happened, uh, I am sorry if, I'm, uh, if I i not ask uh, so, uh, so if there, is, uh, there was a lot of outrage over this because uh, it was not depicting facts and it was first of all obvious from the trailer because uh, you know this objectification of the woman, uh, Rajput queen is uh, not uh, a dancing queen, she was a symbol of authority. She was a ruler. She's not somebody who will cool dance in public like that. So from that trailer, you know, from the Goomer, it's a beautiful dance sequence, but you know, to make a Rajput queen do that, there was a lot of outrage against it. But that was not my major uh, problem um, with Padmavat. You see, there is a, a complete misdetection of tax, uh, And uh, I want to clear the air about what Johar is. You know, because johan is looked upon as some kind of suicide. A, it is looked upon as some kind of suicide or it is looked upon as some kind of sati. In the film also they've shown uh, 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 Padmini as committing sati, which is absolutely wrong. Johan is not sati. One of the most important aspects of uh, johan, which is not shown anywhere, you will not get in anywhere uh, except maybe original documents and Stories or folklore from Rajasthan is Joghar used to happen with Shaka. How many of you heard of Shaka? Nobody's heard. I don't think anything has heard of this word. Nobody's heard about Shaka. Joghar and Shaka would happen together. The women would die first. It was the men who actually killed themselves. So, what used to happen was there used to be this huge fire where uh, all the women would uh, burn themselves. First, the men would be alive. And they would then smear themselves with the ashes of the dead women, their daughters, their wives, their mothers. They would put a tulsi leaf on their tongue. Tulsi leaf is put on the tongue of corpses when they go for the last uh, uh, journey to the cremation pile. And they would wear orange, the kesariya bana wears orange which is the, uh, the colour of renunciation. That I give up the world now because I have nothing to lose. And then they would and some of them would have you know sons who were three or four years old, who would strap them on their backs, and they would go for a last charge where not a single man would survive. So when the invaders would come, they would see a completely demolished. It's just not uh, uh, women who were demolished or destroyed. It was the entire culture, it was a culture in which both men and women, for both of them, the honour of the woman was more sacred than the life of a man. And it was not something of victimhood, it was a thing of pride. It was a thing of arrogance. There was no victimhood, but I shouldn't speak too much about
0: it. It's something really we look into the history again, that has opened a new chapter for us. Uh, I come back to another ma'am who has always been writing and re-inviting history. So what is your take? Were women in mythology kept at home and heart or they had some say in the community, they took decisions? As we are still struggling in the same women empowerment, what was the role of women?
2: Oh, again, no. see I feel that at no point in history have all women experienced the same fate. All women or not are not the same now if you take Shakti there are a million faces to her. That's true for every woman. you know. We have, see, just because I have two daughters doesn't mean I'm only a mom. Just because I've written 11 books doesn't mean I'm only an author. So you can go on and on like that. you know. In every stage in history, you have victims and you have strong, powerful women. Nandini here spoke about uh, Kunti and such a fierce matriarch. You know, how? what a proud, fierce, strong woman she must have been to deal with, widowhood, to look after her five sons and made sure she's they literally went into the white pit, that was you know the group, or political lineup out there. And they came out of it, uh, they, went, they went through a lot of difficult times, but they came out stronger. And she was the backbone of the Pandavas in the So you have her there, and, and we spoke about uh, Padmarati again. And uh, again, I, I would say that uh, when it comes to, um, I I tend not to question or uh, judge the choices made by women throughout history. It's the same for Joppa. If a woman chooses Give up her life for various reasons, it's her it's her call. It's not a decision that, that's easily made. You know, so I respect a woman's choice, I respect a woman's agency. And uh, with again with me, when we spoke about my issue with Padma, with it for me, it has always been the lack of balance when Bollywood portrays these stories. History is infinitely complicated. And you take Padmavati's story, uh, you know, it, 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 I hate when it's shown in shades of black and white. Everything in which this side did was right. Everything in which this side did was wrong. It's not how it was. Alauddin Khalji, in a lot of ways, he was a tyrant, but he did do a lot that was good also. He was a strong ruler and he did offer a choice to all the Rajput kingdoms he besieged and destroyed. They were given the option to surrender and he wanted to, you know, solidify the union by marrying, you know, one of the royal women. And we also have to talk about uh, Rajput pride and we have to talk about the infighting among the various clans. It's not just the Rajputs. Throughout Indian history, we talk about how conquerors divided and ruled India. We have to acknowledge that we didn't need the conquerors for that. Division among the various parts of India is an issue we deal with today. It's an issue that has plagued this country throughout history. So when you're talking about what happened with Padma, you have to acknowledge that the Rajputs were, the Rajput kings wasn't only Radhan Singh. A lot of Rajput kings were betrayed from within. You know, it happened. It was the same with Mohammed yeah. of Gori, with Birbira Chauhan. It happened. He was betrayed. I not to correct you here. There's a lot of <laughs> the,
3: Yes, I think uh, this is this is a lot of mystery. These are popular stories which we have been taught. Uh, these are historical narratives which we have given, which is not true. I'm sorry. Uh, a lot about uh, the infighting amongst the Rajputs. These are narratives which have been built up over time and uh, about uh, marriages to royal families, that is also, a lot of it is not fact. Like, uh, I come from Man Singh's uh, uh, clan. So, my elders believe that, uh, A, there is absolutely no, uh, the Kachaba clan, which is my mother's clan, there is absolutely no Islamization. So, there is this common narrative that we believe we will know. We were staunch Hindu, and if for some, many of them even deny that it, it happened, it is denied. A lot of historical facts about infighting among the Rajputs and now that was not trying to, he was like a normal invader who was somehow come to good in front of you know that. Romanticization is also uh, a, a, a narrative which is built up, infighting amongst Rajput kingdoms is built up, this whole thing that Jai was a traitor, he was, was a great king. There is a lot of discussion of narratives, which we are trying through Rajput history and historians to, re- uh, to reconnect and uh, to uh, re-establish. In- there was a lot of unity amongst them and this whole thing about uh, Man Singh marrying his uh, family, your daughters and stuff like that, it is believed amongst us, it having There is no proof of it or we there is, was, I think, a maid called Hakabai. So, you know, people at like those days, uh, you know, that is what my shy believed. They wouldn't have given their daughter. They would have given a concubine's daughter or maybe some maid, you know, who was uh, passed as a princess. So, it is denied. A lot of what you saying is being yeah. yeah, I think it's
0: it was always said that history is written by the winners. Yes. Who wins, he writes the history. <laughs> this oh. is an example of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I can put this question to Nandini now, now. do you really feel there are pitfalls in when we reimagine women in my thoughts? Uh, yes, of course, So I'll just set <laughs> a little context uh, to this, uh, we've heard of the words uh, Itihasa and Purana, um, how do we, nobody in India, at least for a very, very long time until recently, when we listened to uh, uh, Ramana and Mahabharata, we, uh, we listen to it, you know, the reading came much later. I remember when I was growing up, I listened to stories from the Ramayana and the Mahabharata being narrated. Usually Ramayana and Mahabharata, they are known as the Itihasa. In Sanskrit, it's Sanskrit itihasa. itihasa, Oh, it's like this. Oh, is it like this? There is that sense of wonder. Purana, if you etymologically if you look at that word, pura apinava. It's old and yet it's new. So most of us never read the Ramayana Mahabharata. We grow up listening to it, you know, told and retold. And who who, uh, who who tells us it's an aptavachana Someone whose perspectives are you know uh, are very in depth. Someone who is very wise. And the Purana and the Epika me- were never meant as moral stories for us to interpret, for us to you know uh, to analyze. They were me- they were meant to be very embodied experiences. Uh, By embodied experiences, it's not from coming a, from a purely cognitive plane. You had to experience it. You had to feel it. You had to embody it. It had to be. You know, a very, very visceral experience. They were supposed to offer you a mirror to yourself and ask you, make you ask yourself this question in doing what I'm doing, what am I really doing? Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? They were meant to evoke such responses. So I think we somehow uh, seem to have lost sight of that. You know, it's just a mirror. And even when we read any uh, literature, when we read it, with any kind of writing or a painting or any work of art, it's see multiple subjectivities. You know, what does it evoke for me? I have people telling me, "Oh, we're going to read your books so that we learn more about you." I really tell them, no, you read my book to learn more about yourself. It just shows a mirror. So I think when, for instance, when we listen to, say, stories from the Mahabharata or Ramayana, Kunti, I resonate a lot with Kunti uh, for so many uh, uh, various reasons. I'm going into it now. When I listen to Kunti story, what happens within me? You know, I think we need to get in touch with that inner space. Uh, For me, these stories are used as vehicles for inner transformation. They hold that it enables us to look at ourselves with compassion and curiosity, you know. I look at all the characters in the Mahabharata, for instance, as inner archetypes. You have the Pandavas. They are the typic archetypes. Modern psychology speaks of it as the um, as uh, as the heroes, uh, or what you call it, the positive aspects. And the Kauravas, they represent the asuric or the, the or the uh, the shadow aspects. You know, shadow psychology is a huge thing in modern psychology. And every part of our character has the opposite polarity also. So, so within me, so where where within me? Do I embody the, uh, you know, if, if it's Kunti, if I'm looking at Kunti as an architect, where within me am I carrying that Kunti energy? So therefore, can I look within myself, can I sit with myself? Shravanam, I listen, then mananam I use them as stories for self-reflection, and then it is Nidhiddha, I sort of see, oh, you know, what is the potential for transformation? I somehow feel that we sort of lost sight of this, and it causes me immense pain and anguish when I look at the uh, interpretations and misinterpretations, especially using incompatible frames of reference and lenses. You know, I think a favorite uh, rhetoric is, "Oh, this patriarchal uh, misogyny." I'm a hardcore feminist, as uh, as hardcore as it gets. But then, when we use incompatible frames of reference to look at something which happened so many years back, and you know, it just doesn't uh, fit. So, I think this whole thing of uh, viewing uh, the Itihasa and Purana as a mirror for ourselves, I think that is the essence, and perhaps that's why they were meant, they were written, not for interpretation and uh, misinterpretation. Uh, it might sound very radical. It might sound very politically incorrect, also, but I very strongly feel this is uh, this is where uh, uh, this is where it, it was actually meant to be, and it's been buried in the debris of um, the, the passage of time and years, and of course, colonization. I think colonization, as you uh, Shivani rightly put it, the layers of misinterpretation and uh, distortion of facts. I think colonialization has done enormous damage to the very, very Dharvic traditions and history.
3: I wanted to, I resonated so much uh, with what you said, and especially the last part, so I can probably say it in continuity to what you uh, said. That when you were speaking, you know, uh, we had this uh, saying, na, ki Dadi You know this entire tradition, I think, is a vestige of the lost tradition of shruti's and smritis, because our knowledge systems were never written down. Because you know, when you write, you can write lines, but when you, when it is an experience, the oral tradition, the shruti's and the smritis, the oral traditions, which was passed from consciousness to consciousness, it was a collective consciousness which was passing and transmitting down its history and its knowledge you know to the succeeding generations when you write something you can you can write fiction they say history is fiction i mean somebody people ask me that you know if you write history why, why, why is it fiction and why is it uh, not non-fiction i said history is fiction most of it is we have talked about you know how it is uh, narratives are built out of uh, history you know for political and sociological purposes So I totally resonated with uh, this thing about, you know, when the act of writing started, you know, that is again a colonial uh, kind of constructive. Oh, the letters, the alphabet, and learning. As if learning began when you started writing. In the beginning, there was the word. In the beginning, there was the word, you know. And so, you know, the act of the library and the paper, you know, the whole romanticization of the act of writing was actually a romanticization of uh, you know, writing truth, uh, jokes also, you know, because if you notice, uh, though our, and that is why we have survived as a civilization, we are still the oldest extant civilization in the world, because our oral traditions, the collective consciousness cannot be eliminated and deleted and wiped out like that. But what happens is when you start writing, when you start chronicling, you see there are certain civilizations which focus on recording, they will record. Even today, like even in Rajput history, I think that is where a lot of misinterpretation is coming from. And uh, that is why it is very easy to build these narratives against Rajputs, is because uh, the king would make inscriptions. So that is where some of the history comes from. But most of the history which we get from Rajput history is from chroniclers like Farishta or al or, you know, they are Islamic sources. Even the you know the Chishtis or you know the Persian sources, because they you, you know, it is, it is a it is a fact that the people who were very good in recording and very good chroniclers were also very good at creating false narratives. So we have been in a way we have had to suffer that. You know, our history has been right has been suppressed, but it has not been able to be deleted.
0: We survived. We survive because we have a strong oral tradition. Definitely. Okay. Okay. I love what you said about uh, the old tradition, the transmission from consciousness uh, to consciousness. I think it takes it to an entirely different um, play. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, since today's discussion is about women in the mythology. I just want to ask one question before I open for the discussion to come up. When we talk about wedding women, there, there was no word like Allah. We don't see abla Nadi word over eh? there. Women was considered aditi Means she is not dependent on anyone. And uh, so what is your opinion about the Vedic feminism which was women was considered as nature to the western feminism? Do you think the feminism word which we are using now uh, do we think the mythological world also we have this word of feminism?
3: I have strong opinions on this. Song.
0: Yeah. You know I
2: I uh,
3: uh, about Vedic Feminism and about Western Feminism, I think there are two in uh, stark contrast. Uh, I would safely say, and people want to take me up on this, it's controversial, but I will maintain that a uh, lot of Western uh, depiction of womanhood is the sexualization and objectification of womanhood, which is not present, which is not inherent to our culture. And uh, so there is a unidimensional, uh, she is looked upon it as uh, somebody who should be youthful and somebody who should be sexy. And I think that explains why when a man becomes extremely rich, uh, you know, there is no concept of the parenthood or the wife, you know, or uh, like we have the concept of a consort, the woman. Is then replaced with the younger, more youthful models. And if you see the way cosmetic surgery exploded, it started from the West and it exploded from the West, it's because a woman doesn't seem to have any other identity uh, besides, uh, and it is done in very, very subtle manners. That's a completely different topic by itself. But I think the Vedic woman, we have to remember two things it's not that she is not sexualized, no, so we do not have the same dense nut syndrome that either you are a saint, either you are a madonna-like figure or you are a slut who is on a pretty sexualized object. There is no binary over here. You know, when you look at Shakti and the 64 principles of Shakti, from the ogre to the somnia there are shades of shades in between. Absolutely. So she can be a sexualized object as well, when you look at the Khajarao, and you look at the sexualized woman, you cannot find a woman as sensual as, let's say, a woman depicted in stone in Khajarao, that aspect is there. again. Amarabha was uh, the daughter of Vaishali. She was an extremely respected woman. She was, in a way, a prostitute. So, that also was there, but that was not the only role, gender role, that a woman played. There were lots and lots of shades. She could be anything. I mean, it depended on her constitution and her temperament, which takes her to the very beginning. No, I don't think there is any other. I am sure that, I don't generalize, but uh, there, was, there was no rule set in stone that the only role for a woman is to be, uh, is marriage and children. Then, you know, she could choose another life if she wanted. The whole concept of Vidushi is the wise woman. We had 27 Rishikas. They were, we just didn't have Rishis, we had Rishikas. So there was, uh, in fact, women were exhorted, again it was her temperament and constitution. If, if a woman's temperament is for childbearing and for to lead a household life, then the four Rajkans are there. But if a woman chose to totally, uh, you know, uh, take another path and go only towards study, that is also there. We have politic women in public life. We've had uh, writers and scribes. So, the whole thing is that a woman in baby tradition, and that is continuing till now. I mean, we are talking about the West where
0: people start, women started
3: uh, writing uh, voting rights in
0: the 20th century,
3: uh, 19th century, no, 18th century.
0: Yeah, even writing is
3: not allowed. Yes, yeah. in some countries. So, you know, this whole concept of Western feminism, I think it is very important for Indians to understand the rights of women from their own context and not borrow it from the West. Because it makes sense over there, you know, where a woman is a sexualized object, where the culture is different. For them, you know, feminism, you know, the right to equality and equality is a Western feminism thing. Why are you importing a concept in a culture where women are, you know, considered a us and she worshipped as a goddess? Why would you, I mean, think a little bit, understand your own history, your own tradition. And you're looking at a uh, uh, tradition, you know, when you uh, talk about even men. Do you know who Umakant is? Who is Umakant? How many people know? Umakant is Shiv. Who is Lakshmi Kant? Lakshmi is Vishnu, Vishnu. Which culture ta- the man takes the name of woman? I'm talking about Shiv and Vishnu over here. Before every uh, uh, name, Shri, Shri Vivek, Shri Vinod, Shri. What is Shri? Shri is the feminine principle. She is the great mother principle, the Lakshmi principle. So we are talking about a culture where which was uh, where of the sacred feminine. So the whole concept of Western feminism is anachronistic here and completely unnecessary and irrelevant. We have to understand our own roots before we go. We should be both. I, no, I agree
2: with uh, Shivani, what she's saying, but uh, the thing I'd like to add is that uh, what I've noticed if you speak, you're either a student of history, mythology or just a student, you will notice that, uh, you know, it keeps changing, you know, our notion of what is acceptable and what isn't. Just to give an example, uh, now if you take a uh, Quranic road. Women who were venerated tended to be supremely devoted to their husbands whether it was Arundhati or Sita or Panagi, these were women who were Devoted to their husbands, and they were deified because they put their husbands' interests ahead of their own. Oh. But today, that oh. would not be oh. glorified. Today, the feminists would work themselves into a rage if that sort, that idea of womanhood alone, is venerated. <laughs> now, I, I'm a uh, classical dancer, and I'll give an example from dance. In those days, the devdasis were topless. They danced uh, with their breasts, uh, you know, exposed. They would either paint their breasts or adorn it with pearls or something. That was considered perfectly decent for you to dance in a temple with your breasts exposed, but you were allowed to lift your leg and show Nadraja, the Shivan pose, the classic pose with your leg lifted. That was considered vulgar for a woman to raise her leg. Whereas today, if I were to dance, forget her temple, if I were to dance, stop this on a stage that's acceptable in a strip club or for a cabaret dancer, but for a classical dancer to show her breast, it would, you know, you'd be slapped with a court case or you'd be driven out of the country or you'd be burnt at the stage. But today, we lift up our legs very comfortably and there's a pose called the Uttatandava pose where you lift up your leg and hold it in your right hand. That's a Nadraja pose. We do it to show off that, you know, that flexible, that strong, we can do it. So, you know, that's not considered vulgar today. Just a small thing, but it keeps changing. Whether it's history or mythology, what is acceptable, what is isn't, keeps on changing? Which is why I will always say nothing is set in stone. Nothing is set in stone. So let's not accept any, any one version as the only acceptable version. If something strikes us as wrong, if something feels questionable, I think we shouldn't be afraid to rewrite that version, to retell that version. Because, you know, in the end, we have to, uh, like Tandini said, everything is an experience. You have to explore your own truth for yourself and you have to have that integrity
0: when you go about approaching this material and reshaping it if you feel the need arises. I also resonate with what uh, Shivani said about, uh, I think, uh, uh, mindlessly importing Western feminism uh, principles and transplanting it in a, a very uh, completely alien culture. But that said, I think uh, Again, it's sort of resonating a lot with what you said about. I think ours is a dharmic tradition. And I think those principles, I think one second principle is the principle of plurality. There is and, 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 you know. There is is no restrictive binary or there is no restrictive uh, either or. So I think that is that principle of plurality i think is something we we need to keep uh, you know keep, keep in mind and uh, also uh, the other thing is that you're right about uh, what you said about equal about the renovation of the uh, feminine principle uh, and i think in uh, uh, the the success of modern patriarchal societies right. Western societies, in fact, the feminine principle has been effectively banished and silenced. And I think probably if those of us who have read uh, Dan Brown's uh, Da Vinci Code, wherein he essentially talks about that uh, exiling of the feminine principle and, uh, you know, the kind of uh, damage it inflicting, is inflicting on society. But I think so, uh, 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 a very, I think probably we need to sort of um, uh, a position a very robust, resilient, uh, Indic feminism rooted in That's her- a nice catchy word. <laughs>
3: That's a really catchy oh, word. We just found a nice terminology which we
0: can take in. Indic yeah. feminism. Indic feminism rooted in very principles. I think that would be when you lose, uh, when you breach the context, when you whitewash the context. I think we the term into trouble in the sense confusion and this is uh, you, you know i think we end up becoming oppressed and identifying with the oppressor you know the oppressor's uh, uh values the oppressor's ethos the oppressor's worldview uh, all sounds uh, so so very uh changing and so very seductive and i think we we are very judged okay.
2: just to add a little bit to what she said uh, i admit that uh, you know when it comes to uh, dharmic and uh, Vedic notions of feminism it is very very sound but I also want to add that uh, over the centuries it has been misused because once we started setting these things down once we moved on from the oral tradition partly because you know a bit of uh, uh, occidental bias creeped in and partly because for the longest time I think mythology was controlled by one caste by one caste alone and therefore the narrative was changed and therefore it has been used as a tool of oppression and exploitation not just for women but for other castes as well. We have to acknowledge that today's India still suffers from the evils of caste system that for women a lot of rights have been denied. We can't pretend otherwise and therefore which is why I claim this very very important when we feel that there's an element of bias or prejudice, or if there is, you know, if the material is being used as a tool of oppression, it has to be reclaimed. It has to be
3: reinterpreted. It has to be reinterpreted. Absolutely. I have a few words on that. Yeah, sure, yeah, definitely. Sure. So <laughs> and then you too. Yeah, <laughs> you too. You know, um, though I agree, though I agree with what uh, you just said and principle. What we, of course, now understand as Brahminical patriarchy. I'm going to address the elephant in the room over here. So, yes, you know, I'm not saying that Brahminical patriarchy does not exist, and I'm not saying that caste system did not exist, and I'm not saying that oppression of other castes did not exist, because, of course, examples will be shown. And the thing, the thing is that it is not so much as shown as flouted these days, and there is a narrative which has create, been created around the so-called Romanical patriarchy and oppression of the other castes and caste systems. Remember caste is also not a word which is indigenous to us. The word caste really was also, is also a colonial construct. If you want to go back to the history of it, the first categorization of castes happened in the 1930s or the 40s by the Britishers who went village to village and started making lists of uh, 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 making lists of certain castes used to say we didn't have castes at that time, right? we had what so, was, we call jatis. So Jatis and Varna, so they were saying, kya hai? Kya hai? And, you know, so there was this very broad, superficial, occidental understanding, See, even racism is not indigenous to us. The Varna Vivastra was not Hierarchy. The Varna Vyavastha was not a vertical and a lateral uh, kind of a division of upper and lower and superior. No. Everybody had, uh, uh, from the uh, Shudra to the Veshya, they all had a place in society. The Shudras are the ones who built the temples. How beautiful! You think if they were an oppressed class, they would have built temples like that? They are the ones who were, uh, you know, the Ayurvedes and the engineers were Shudras. You think they would have done that if they were being tortured and killed by Brahminical and and things like that. And even the Vaishyas, we were probably, we were the biggest contributors of, the, of GDP and that and the kind of uh, prosperity we had would not have happened without uh, 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 complete synthesis and harmony in the, the Vibhasa is an extremely sophisticated and a refined Way of administration, which has been misconstrued deliberately, it has been demonized. No. And certain narratives have been built to destroy it. The reason it has been, this narrative has been built, was because that was the only construct which survived. And the, uh, the colonial al- colonial imperialism could not destroy it, and still has not been able to destroy it. So certain narratives were built, you know, times were created. It. To uh, break
0: us up, and they succeeded, but we survived, and she continued. Completely, completely resonate with what you said, uh, Shivani. And I think for me, it's the decolonization, and for me, my own decolonization has been extremely painful. It's been a very, very, uh, a very, very inward journey, and uh, I found that I was. So, so colonized, you know, uh, the, the, the white person's uh, ideology, uh, the white person's uh, history, and so much of the oppression has been internalized. Exactly. And I think that also colored my own gaze. It was the invader's gaze, and uh, acknowledging it was very... an unlearning process of oh. indoctrination, which has been internalized. Oh, yeah, and I think just as we're talking of an Indic feminism, I think it's time we talked of a very robust Indic, uh, Indic, uh, Indic studies. You know, very, very, uh, very, very dharmic. And dharmic is just not Vedic. Dharmic is the boomy the on which we stand. And it's asking ourselves that very fundamental everyday question in doing what I'm doing, what am I really doing? It's being responsible for my actions. If that is not dharmic living, then what is? Yeah, absolutely. I think we are running short of time now, but with this discussion, it should never end. You can just take two questions if there are can any you? of the audience. Anyone has a question or shall we conclude the session? Yeah. So, do you need a mic, sir? Yes, sir, please. Yes, Yeah, okay, I will come no, Yes. <coughs>
1: Hello. Uh, my question is to you. It's not just a reflection. In the beginning of your lecture you said that woman should have a freedom whether she wants to go sati or Kavimzova or not. Having accepted that, but there is no one another dimension to it. Like woman's consciousness and identity of the self is by and by shaped by the narrative given by the fact there. Uh, so, you know, so much of importance given to the sexual purity, which prompts you to so far. I think that is an angle which we also look uh, into. You know, the guy preached to you up, she uses the term like hijacking of consciousness, and there is something called uh, Stockholm Syndrome, where your consciousness is hijacked. and you speak in the, you speak the same language that has enslaved you. You speak the language of the pattern, yeah. and in you know, a woman, unconsciously, in a way, unconsciously, women become an agency to uh, to, to to support their own subversion. Mm-hmm. So uh, are, uh, that is just a I I I you know, I and uh, there is a there energy is a an power and. Uh, Knowledge uh, that is explored by Foucault, who says that the narratives are given by the power structure, patriarchy, and uh, we subaltern, I mean, women and all of us, they speak the same language. I think that is also one of the things that we should do. And um, my reflection on your lecture uh, we should study uh, not only to get informed, but to get transformed. That's, that is just a summary.
3: Thank you. Thank you
0: that so recommendation. Recommendation.
2: Uh, thanks so much for your question. Now, I just want to clarify first and foremost, I don't really condone the practice of either Johar or Sati and I am against the glorification of either because like, as face it, too often women burn for the sake of a man's pride and that's something I will never find acceptable. I was just clarifying that... Uh, you know, when you're a queen or a princess, you do have a brain and you have enough power to exercise it for yourself. Okay? So, I, even if it's a patriarchal narrative, and whether a woman chooses to buy or not buy into it, it's still her fault. So, you know, she has, I, I like to think that women have brains which they can use to think for themselves. So, whatever, there are highly traditional women, and I have no reason to look down on them or sneer on their beliefs. I try not to do that uh whichever side of the divide I find a of person on, I tend to sit on the fence most of the time. I'm willing to keep an open mind and listen to everything And I just clarified I do not really condone women burning for whatever reason. So yes, uh, yes, but you are right. Uh, this whole business of sexual purity, as you call it, that's uh, again uh, men treating women as possessions where they decide that a woman's chastity is uh, you know, tied to his notion of honour, his ego. I really don't agree with that. I think that's led to a lot of repression. I think it's caused a lot of problems in a land where it originally wasn't like that. We keep forgetting that the Kama Sutra was written in India. We were that involved, enlightened people. Uh, in temples we have in Kajra Kokona, we see such, uh, you know, evolved ideas of sex and sexuality and desire. Desire was never demonized. It was never a cheat cheat poo poo type thing. So I don't know why we became so ridiculously puritanical and fixated on weird notions of purity. So I really hope that, uh, you know,
0: we can change those narratives and reclaim it. Thank you so much. And this note, we end today's panel discussion. Thank you to all the panelists for their wonderful presence at the stage and thanks to the audience also. Please sign off now. Over to you.